Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Pastor Brett was mistaken. There isn't children's church this morning, so if you sent your kid out and they're not coming back, you might want to go find them. Now, uh, as we come to uh, our passage for this morning in the book of Hebrews, we'll be in Hebrews 11, verses 11 through 12, I'm reminded of the story of a friend of mine named Rhonda Jackson. Now, I'd be surprised if any of you actually knew her story. She is not famous. There isn't a book written about her or a movie, but she is an example of what it means to live by faith. In 1999, Rhonda moved to the country of Honduras in Central America in response to a call that God had upon her life to be a missionary. She eventually moved to a remote village in the center of the country with a hope to be immersed in the culture and to learn the language. When she arrived, she found herself in the midst of a deeply broken culture. The people were immersed in paganism and superstition. Marriage wasn't practiced at all, and men would have multiple partners fathering children they had no intention of providing for. They were living in ignorance and poverty. What could she do to end these generations of brokenness? As Rhonda began to pray, the Lord revealed to her His call upon her life and the plan that He had. She was to build a children's home where the next generation could be raised. Parents could retain their rights to their children, but the children would be raised away from this broken community in a Christian environment. There they would be nurtured and fed and educated, loved and raised in the faith. In a short period of time, The Lord miraculously provided everything she needed, including through a chance meeting on an airplane, somebody donating 12 acres of land for her to do her work. She named this work Destino del Reino, which means kingdom destiny, because she believes that each of the children that come to this home is there because they have a destiny in the kingdom of God. Now since she founded Destino, the Lord has miraculously provided water from an underground spring that nobody thought was there, electricity for the whole property that had to be installed by this company from Texas, buildings for the property, a clinic, and a school that provides top-notch Christian education, not only for her residential children, but for the children living in the surrounding villages. In the spring of 2004, April and I led a group of college students on a week-long mission trip to Destino, and then the next summer in 2005, we returned for a second time, just the two of us, for a seven-week stint. It was amazing to see what happened when someone was willing to hear the call of God and to act in faith, to see the lives of these children changed and the love for Christ that each of them had. In our passage for this morning, we continue our study of Hebrews chapter 11. And it's a case study of what it means to live by faith rooted in the lives of Old Testament figures. 
We've already studied the lives of Abel and Enoch, Noah and Abraham. And today we come to look at the faith of Sarah, the wife of Abraham. Now the story of Sarah cannot be separated from Abraham any more than Abraham's can be separated from Sarah. She, like her husband, was called to leave her homeland to live in Canaan. And the particular aspect of her call and God's promise to this couple was that she would bear a son. And yet Sarah was barren. It had been many years past that Sarah had given up hope that she would ever have a child of her own. However, the promise of God was that she would become the mother of nations. And so in obedience to God and in submission to her husband, Sarah too left all that she knew and went to Canaan to dwell in tents. She entered the unknown and lived as a foreigner believing that the God who promised would be faithful. And this is what we'll see this morning in our text. That if we would live by faith, then we too must be willing to submit ourselves to the promises of God, believing that He who promised will surely bring it to pass. And while it seems that it is against all odds, we trust that nothing is impossible with God. So hear now the word of the Lord, Hebrews chapter 11. I'll begin in verse 8, reading through verse 12. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. This is God's holy word for us as people. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, dear Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in your word you remind us that the darkness of ignorance and doubt cannot overcome your life-giving word. May your Holy Spirit, who first inspired these words of Scripture, shine your light and once again awaken us to the hearing and living of this radiant truth. We pray this all in Christ's holy name. Amen. The very first promise that there would be a Christmas comes in the first few chapters of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. By this time, Adam and Eve had already rebelled against the Word of God. They had hid themselves from God and made fig leaves to cover their nakedness. The curse of sin and death had entered the world, and yet the Lord makes a promise that He will undo this brokenness, that He will bring an end to the reign of Satan and of death. There we read in verse 15 of chapter 3, God says, I will put enmity between you, that he is speaking to the enemy, between you and the woman, 
and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, to be sure, this promise is somewhat cryptic and vague at this point in Scripture. And yet, the basic elements are present. One, there is going to be a struggle between the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the enemy. This struggle will culminate in one born of the woman who will strike a mortal blow against the enemy, but in doing so, himself will be injured. Now, as the story of redemption unfolds, many elements of this promise become clearer. The first is that the battle of offspring will manifest in a struggle between those who follow the Lord and those who follow Satan. The offspring of Satan are those who are animated by the desires and the aims of the enemy. Particularly, men like Cain who killed Abel. Men like Pharaoh who killed the Hebrew sons. Men like Herod who sought to kill Jesus when he was born. They manifest the spirit of the enemy, the work of Satan. These are his offspring. Jesus says to the Pharisees who opposed his work, You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. The next thing that we see is that the offspring of the woman will be born by faith. That is, according to the promise that this offspring will come about. Over and over again in Scripture, we encounter women who cannot conceive or whose circumstances would keep them from having children. We see that Eve is bereaved of her son Abel. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Hannah were all barren and unable to have children without divine intervention. Again, Pharaoh killed the sons of the Hebrews. Ruth was left without a husband. Each of these women had to have faith to bring offspring into this world. And the final thing we see is that this promise is that it will be accomplished progressively, culminating in the work of Jesus Christ, the ultimate child of faith born of the woman to do battle against Satan. And on the cross, he was bruised, but in being bruised, he crushed the head of Satan, defeating the power of death itself. This is the promise that all who trust in Jesus Christ will receive new birth, remission of sins, and life everlasting. You see, we must understand this promise as we come to Sarah. For the promise of God was that he would accomplish his purpose of redemption through Sarah, that she would birth a child and through this child one day would arise the one who would destroy the work of the enemy. However, her circumstances made it seem impossible. When God first called Abraham to go to Canaan and promised him an heir through his wife Sarah, Abraham was 75 years old and Sarah was 65 years old. Now, at this point, it seems rather unlikely that this particular couple would have any children. They were well past the years of fertility. They had not had any children up to this point. Why could they believe that they would have children now? But it's still somewhat in the realm of possibility. 
It sounds strange, but there are people who have naturally had children late in their 50s. And with the help of science, some women today have become pregnant and had children in their 60s. And even I read that in India, a woman gave birth at 74 years old. But Sarah did not conceive at 65 years old. That is when she received the promise that she would have a child. That is when she was told the seemingly impossible is going to happen. And so she and Abraham made it to Canaan, but still no child. If God was going to keep his promise, he needed to act soon. Time was running out. In Genesis 15, we read that Abraham despaired of ever having a child, but the Lord reaffirmed his promise. It says that he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. We see this language of promise reflected in verse 12 of our text. There we read this. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. And yet, even after this promise was made, Abraham and Sarah had to continue to wait. Now it had been 24 years since the initial promise of God was made. And we read in Genesis 18, the Lord asked, Where is Sarah your wife? And Abraham said, She is in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah your wife shall have a son. And finally, after 25 years, the promise of God was fulfilled, and 90-year-old Sarah had a son by 100-year-old Abraham. This is how we live by faith. We must know the promises of God and believe that He who makes the promise is faithful. And this is where we often get off track when we think about and we talk about living by faith. We don't know the promises that we're supposed to believe. You see, it's very easy to believe that to live by faith is to trust that God will give you what you want. And if you don't get what you want, it's because you don't have enough faith. You see people in desperate situations going to this line of thinking over and over again. For example, I have seen people who have had an illness that cannot be cured by any known medical means. And they'll fall into this trap that if they just believe that God is going to heal them, that they will be healed. And if they're not healed, it's because they have some lack of faith, that their faith isn't strong enough to be healed. But Christian, that is not what it means to live by faith. It does not mean to believe that God will do whatever you want Him to do. That's wishful thinking. It leads to confusion. It leads to disappointment and despair. 
I have seen this play out numerous times where people said, I believed, I had faith that God would heal my father, would heal my son, would heal my daughter. I had faith and it didn't happen. And therefore, either my faith wasn't strong enough or God disappointed. Now, God may choose to heal. And there are stories of people who have been healed in unexplainable and miraculous ways. But it's to misunderstand Scripture to believe that everyone who follows the Lord will conceive children or will live to be a hundred years old or will make a million dollars. That is not faith. So then what does it mean to live by faith? It means that we know the promises of God and Scripture and trust that God will bring them about. In particular, it means that we know the central promise of the, of the gospel, that God will defeat the work of Satan through the offspring of the woman. We know the promise of Scripture, that one will arise who will do battle and who will win the battle on our behalf. And even when it looks as though all hope is lost, that in the end the Word of God will prove true. Even when it looks as though it is against all odds. You see, you need to know the promises of God because often it feels as though they are not going to come about. But faith knows God's promises. Now the Lord makes Sarah and Abraham wait a very long time to receive this promise. And this is a pattern throughout Scripture that we wait for the Lord. Read in, we read in Psalm 27, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. In Psalm 130, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits and in His Word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. Lamentations 325, the Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. And we see that central to Sarah and Abraham's life of faith was a life of waiting. We read in verse 11 of our text, By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered Him faithful who had promised. It is that last phrase that we should highlight at this point. Sarah considered God faithful because he had promised. As we read through the story of Sarah's life, we see that she didn't always wait for the Lord perfectly. She was in on the plan to use her servant Hagar to raise up this promised child, trying to take the promises of God into her own hands. When Hagar did conceive, she fell into jealousy and did not respond with grace and patience. Then we read that when the Lord promised that she would have a child by next year that we read earlier, she thought this was ridiculous. We read, and Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? 
The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. You see, Sarah, like Abraham, had faith, but it was a faith that was often weak and faltering. And can you blame her? It is laughable that a 90-year-old woman would have a child. And yet our text tells us that Sarah did have faith. She considered the promise of God and determined that no matter how laughable the promise of God is, if God made it, it would happen. And we need to take encouragement from the Word of God that looks at the story of Sarah and her faltering faith and still calls that faith. Because our faith can often falter. It doesn't mean that we don't have faith, though. It just means that our faith often is immature. But here is the important thing. It took 90 years of barrenness for God to bring Sarah to a place of faith. She needed to wait year after year after year because God was growing her and changing her. He was weaning Sarah off of any delusions that she would bear a child by her own power. And he was causing her to lean on him more and more. Earlier this week, I was reading a Peppa Pig book. Not by myself, it was to my youngest daughter. And in this book, little Peppa Pig was planting a garden with her grandfather. Peppa plants a seed in the ground and she covers it over with soil and she waters it and she looks at it and she says to her grandfather, nothing's happening. And then gets upset when her grandfather informs her that it's going to take a very long time for this little seed to sprout and to grow and to finally fruit. And it struck me because the life cycle of a stalk of corn is merely for a few months. It's planted, it sprouts, it matures, it fruits, and then it dies. But human beings... We live far longer, and we are far more complex than a stalk of corn. Nevertheless, we believe that we should be bearing the fruit of faith as soon as the seed of God's Word is planted in our hearts. We believe that it's just merely a matter of choice to live by mature faith. But it takes so much more than merely choosing to believe. To have a mature faith, you must wait. You must pass through many a night experiencing want and deprivation. 
God caused Sarah to wait 90 years to have a child because that's how long it took to build the type of faith that would mother the line of the Messiah. And God's call on your life is also to wait for His promises. It is to see that one day you will be set free from pain and sorrow and death. It is to see that one day you will be free from sin and brokenness. To see that one day you will come into the eternal city of God to worship and dwell with Him forever. But not now. Because you must grow and you must mature in your faith. And for that growth to happen, you must wait. We must wait for the promises believing that God is using all of this waiting to mold us, to shape us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. As the Apostle Paul explains, this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now we're a people who are not good at waiting Everything in our modern society seems aimed at the instantaneous, but there, are, there remains those things that cannot be achieved in a moment. Seeds take a season to mature, babies still take nine months to be born, and then another two decades to mature to adulthood. And Christians, while we are born anew by the work of the Spirit, we take a lifetime to be prepared for the eternal weight of glory to which we go. And so be patient with the Lord. And be patient with yourself. Because it takes a long time of waiting to grow to the point that God would have you grow. You see, to live by faith, we need to know God's promises. We need to know that we must wait on God's promises. And the final thing that we see is that we need to act on God's promises. Now, it seems a bit of a conflict between waiting and acting, but in reality, faith must do both. It must wait for God to bring about, but we also must be a people who act on what God has called us to do. Look again at verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. You see, Sarah and Abraham could not have a child according to their own power. There was nothing within them. There was no natural ability to do this. They had tried their entire marriage. Nevertheless, the promise of God meant that what was humanly impossible now by the power of God became possible. Verse 11 says that Sarah was past the age. Verse 12 says that Abraham was as good as dead. Right? There's no power within themselves to bear a child, but by faith they receive the power to have a child. You see, without a response, faith is dead. If Noah doesn't build the ark, his faith is meaningless. If Abraham and Sarah don't leave Ur, their faith was false. For faith to be true, it must push us toward action. Richard Phillips explains this truth saying, 
God uses the combination of want and promises to raise us to our feet and move us along the way. And Christian, God has made great promises to us. He has a great call upon our church to follow after Jesus Christ, believing that He will bring about new life through the power of His Spirit, that He will cause men and women and children to be born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God has promised that He will cause new birth as we faithfully proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, not according to our power, but by His power. And therefore, to live a life of faith, we must be willing to act knowing that God, by His Spirit, will supply the power to bring about what we can't bring about on our own, even new life. Now, my friend Rhonda that I began this sermon speaking about always imagined that she would do her work alongside a husband. She felt that the Lord was calling her to get married and to raise these children with her husband in a Christian home. But the Lord never opened that door for her, and to this day she remains single. And yet, the promise that he made has come to pass. For though she does not have any biological children, she is the mother to many more than she could have ever physically birthed. And the promise of Isaiah 54 has come to pass in her life, which says, Sing, O barren one who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one shall be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. A few months ago, I had the opportunity to speak with a former member of our church, Doug Mann. Many of you remember Doug from when he was a member here at Rivermont. He's now the president of Bryan College in Tennessee. And while we shared a meal together, he said to me, I believe that we have a common friend. Do you know Rhonda Jackson? I was surprised, and I said, well, how, yes, I do. How do you know her? Apparently, she had attended Bryan College, and now she is sending her children to Bryan College. These little children she, she brought into her home and raised, and now is sending into this world. Children born into the darkest of poverty, both physically and spiritually, rescued, loved, saved, and now being trained for their kingdom destiny because one woman was willing to submit herself to the call of God on her life and to act in faith. And you have to ask yourself this morning, am I willing to submit myself to the call of God to raise up children of faith, to know the promise of God, to wait on the promise of God, and to act on the promise of God? On this Christmas Eve morning, I can't help but think of another woman who is willing to submit herself to the call of God upon her life to have a child in an unexpected and miraculous manner. For Scripture teaches us that Mary was a virgin, but the promise of God came to her that she would conceive, and that the child she bore would be the culmination of all of God's promises, that He would come to save His people from their sins. 
And her response was, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Sarah and Mary, Rhonda, they all had different plans for their lives. But God called them to trust His promise that He would do a great work through them. That by His power, He would bring forth children of faith. What is the Lord calling you to believe, to wait for, to act on? This Christmas, submit yourself to the Lord's promise, knowing that even when it seems against all odds, that by His power and His grace, He will truly bring forth life and life everlasting through the offspring of the woman, even the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we thank You for the promise that You will bring forth life where there is death, that you will bring forth forgiveness where there is sin, and that you, O God, by your promise, will bring all of your children safely into that everlasting kingdom where all of your promises will be completely fulfilled. Would you give us the grace to know, to wait, and to act on these promises? We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.